Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember, subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Wesco. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 36th episode of 2023. But before we kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber for Breakfast. We really appreciate Wesco's support for this program. You know, on the $42.45 billion bead, NTIB broadband infrastructure funding front, states have begun submitting at least one volume of their BEAD initial proposals to NTIA. You know, approximately 10 states have submitted at least their first volume. In Louisiana and Virginia, are the first two out of the gate to submit both volumes. These proposals are public and available to read. You know, this morning, the Fiber Broadband Association and NTCA released the BEAD challenge process module as part of our playbook 3.0. So you can find this on the Fiber Broadband Association's website under News and Resources. And as a reminder, FBA recently released, in partnership with Cartesian, the B Threshold Financial Model. This model is also available on FBA's website under News and Resources. You know, the Senate returned from uh, their congressional recess this week and will likely hold a vote in the next few weeks to confirm Anna Gomez to the FCC. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer filed cloture on her nomination before the Senate left town in July. Our next and final Regional Fiber Connect workshop will be in Minneapolis on October 24th. So you won't want to miss that, so please register today. And that brings us today's Fiber Breakfast session with Angela Seifer, the Executive Director of the National Digital Inclusion Alliance to discuss addressing all barriers to digital equity. Last week on Fiber Breakfast, we had the pleasure of hearing from Najja Turek of Alta Fiber and Hawaiian Telecom, who discussed fiber is the key to ambitious climate action plan. The key takeaway is that Alta Fiber and Hawaiian Telecom's efforts to replace their legacy copper network with fiber will contribute 56% towards their goal to achieve a, zero, a net zero carbon footprint. Sustainability is a huge environmental benefit that fiber deployment delivers. Today on Fiber for Breakfast, our guest is Angela Seaford, the Executive Director of the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, NDIA, who will be discussing addressing all barriers to digital equity. You know, Angela founded NDIA in 2015. Since 1997, she has been working in digital inclusion She's helped set up computer labs and digital inclusion programs in underserved areas, managed broadband conferences, conducted research, and built a nationwide digital equity ecosystem and has testified multiple times before Congress. As the executive director of NDIA, Angela leads the digital inclusion movement and community of 1,400 affiliate organizations in 50 states, D.C., and territories. Google.org named Angela one of the seven global Leaders to Watch in 2023, pretty impressive. So welcome, Angela. And for audience, please type in your questions as go, and we'll get those into the Q&A at the end. With that, I'll turn it over to Angela. 
Thanks, Gary, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Gary and I um, have known each other for years, but had, got to have a great conversation about a month ago and realized it would be really super to do some connecting between our two organizations. Uh, so thanks for having me here. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Okay, so real quick, NDIA, uh, we're about eight years old. We got started because there wasn't an entity that represented digital inclusion in the United States. And now we have that. Uh, so we represent those organizations that are doing the work. So these are organizations that are helping folks get connected to that affordable connectivity program, uh, getting connected to your member services, right, uh, who are the ones that are teaching digital skills, that are helping folks get devices. They are really the on the ground piece of the digital equity movement and NDIA is really um, honored to represent them and serve them. They tend to be community-based organizations, libraries, housing authorities, local governments, uh, and now increasingly we are seeing more in the tribal, in the um, internet service provider space, it's more so the tribal internet service providers that are engaging in this work, just a couple and that are not tribal. Uh, so curious to see if that changes um, in, in the future and we'll get into how one can do that well. The, the actual digital inclusion work itself is based upon um, these barriers to digital equity. So uh, the broadband might be there, but it would be unaffordable, or it's not there at all, <laughs> or uh, it's there, but it's not very good. Uh, those are all possibilities. Uh, one of the things NDIA did early in our years is um, some research around digital redlining. So understanding communities where infrastructure existed, but they had skipped the lower income areas presumably because of the higher return and higher income areas. Uh, and so those areas didn't have their, the newest technology, which is still a problem today. And so we wanna make sure that that's always identified. The devices, similar issue that they would be unaffordable, that they are unaffordable. So a low income household is most likely to have a mobile phone with them, but not have a tablet or a computer that functions. Uh, sometimes the spyware and all the other terrible things that get into our machines can result in a computer that someone used, that used to be functional for that person no longer being functional. And if they don't have the third category, which is the digital skills, then they're not able to make sure that that computer continues to function. The digital skills are one as an issue in this that will never go away. We are always going to be addressing a digital divide because the technology is going to keep changing and how we use it's going to keep changing. So we have to figure out a solution, a system in the United States, we don't currently have this, where adults, not only students, yes students, but also adults constantly have the tech support they need to figure out how to make sure that computer still functions, how to use the newest app, or even you know super simple things like how do I get on the social security website. Uh, we can, we can make sure that we're addressing those issues from the back end, which is making things more user-friendly, but there's going to be an aspect of this where we're always playing catch up, just as all of us are always learning digital skills. Um, it's even harder for those who aren't in a tech-focused community, uh, as I assume many of the folks listening are. Let's go over some of the terminology so we can level set real quick. One of the first things the NDIA did was define digital equity and digital inclusion because we were using, we were all using the terms interchangeably and it would make a lot more sense and be easier for all of us if we were using these same terms. So the community created these definitions. Digital equity is the goal. 
This is where we want everyone to get to. So this is the condition in which all individuals and communities have the information technology capacity needed for full participation in our society, democracy, and economy, which is really everything, right? So we need to be able to fully do whatever we need to do. Um, and it isn't just life online, but life offline now requires being able to access items online. Uh, so an easy way to think about it is that digital divide is the issue, uh, digital inclusion is the work or the how, and digital equity is the goal. So when we talk about digital inclusion, these are the activities. These are the things that folks are doing uh, to make sure that the members of their community have access to the internet and understand how to use it. Um, so we often will pair those two phrases together. We'll say access and use, uh, because if we're only getting at access, then we're forgetting the use side and we're gonna end up in a space where there's lots of access, but folks don't know how to use it. And so did we actually get the country where it is that we wanted it to get to? So the build local and state digital inclusion ecosystems, this is a grand goal we'd love to see, that every community has all of the pieces of a digital inclusion ecosystem that they need. So this would be making sure that there are organizations who are helping folks sign up for an internet service, who are making sure that folks have access to a low cost device that meets their needs. Um, that is providing digital skills training that might be a digital navigator who's like pointing folks to all the different resources. Uh, and it was it needs to be really community specific and population specific. So who it is that's serving um, an older population may not be the same individuals that are serving uh, those who are looking for back to work kind of support. Uh, so we want to make sure that all the different pieces are there and that they're connected and talking to each other. We're seeing uh, an amazing growth in uh, digital equity coalitions across the United States. Prior to the pandemic, there were about a dozen. Now NDIA is tracking almost 100 of these, which is crazy <laughs> amazing. Uh, but it shows that there's a need on the ground for folks to connect to each other and share information and share uh, resources to have their language um, be aligned, right? There's a lot to gain from that connecting with each other. As internet service providers are thinking about their role in this equity space, uh, I think it's important to think about what those local solutions look like. What NDIA has seen and what the field has, has shown us is that trust is one of the most important. Um, not all internet service providers are trusted. I know that may pain some folks to absorb, but this is a reality. So recognizing that sometimes it may not be the internet service provider who is the one helping a community member with all of these pieces, but that it might be an outside partner that there's a relationship with that they know is doing this. And then they can have that the, um, the communication back and forth of recommending, or if there's a particular issue with, for someone, essentially they become outside customer support. Um, that has that trust or maybe even speaks the correct languages of the folks who are using the service. Um, these, these local organizations can often tailor those programs more specifically also. Uh, so they can adjust, say, for example, the example in a training on how to use technology to be an example that makes sense to them. right? And that might be different depending upon the population. Uh, they can also build that local expertise, which is really important. Uh, okay, broadband adoption, real quick. Uh, this is probably an issue that can be a little hard to absorb, um, and Gary and I had a bit of a conversation about this, that fiber alone will not solve the digital divide. 
and I was, and we are, I'm here to have this conversation with you all, and I'm very honored that Gary invited me to have this conversation. And I think the statistic that helps us understand that is that 25% of urban households do not have a wireline subscription. So they have infrastructure available to them and they are not subscribing. And so we have to get at what those other barriers are that are keeping people from subscribing, which is cost, digital skills, the right device, because why, why purchase a subscription if you can't really use it? Because that would seem silly. Uh, so if we can um, keep moving the conversation forward where we're figuring out how to build the infrastructure, which uh, fabulous you all are doing that, uh, while also partnering with local folks so that they can help with the uh, digital inclusion piece of this, that would be awesome. So my last, my last slide is to welcome you to join the NDIA community. NDIA is a 501c3 uh, nonprofit. We are free to join uh, for, non for nonprofits in government. There's a small fee for for-profits, but we welcome you in, or you can just sign up for the newsletter. Uh, our conference is in February in Philadelphia and coming up in 2024. And we do that annually. We spread it around the country, but it's very much a place for peer-to-peer -peer learning and sharing. And we welcome in all the folks who are addressing equity in BEAD. Angela, thank you. And so, I mean, you're kind of, you've been leading the charge in this for quite some time. And, uh, you know, it's a really important mission because as you said, we're gonna get fiber to every American, but we need to make sure that every American then can take advantage of that to be able to really achieve digital equity. So given, you know, we have this historic investment, you know, so we're, I talked earlier about the BEAD program, but there's also, money available for digital equity um are we going to be able to bridge bridge this digital divide with this this investment we're going to make some great gains we're going to figure out how scaling works because right now there's not a lot of scale around digital equity because there hasn't been money for it so we're going to learn a lot of things we're going to figure out how to set this up the big challenge for all of us is to address the sustainability of these programs because we will not we want to teach everybody how to use the internet in five years and be like, well, everybody knows now we, now we can all go home because something's going to change again and then folks aren't going to know again or they will have missed the first one. So one of, you know, I always think of it in three things, right? So first is you have to have the access. So we have to get the fiber out there. Then it has to be affordable. Um, so it doesn't do any good to have internet services, 500 bucks, right? So you have to be able to, and, and then, then we have to make sure that once they have the availability and it's affordable, they know how to use it. So the adoption. Um, on the affordability side, so ACP is the FCC program to try to address that. And it, um, so how important is that to the BEAD projects and, and what is your view on the future of ACP? Yeah, so it's important to the to individuals who are receiving ACP and it's important to the BEAD projects because they're planning on that subscription level based upon the community members having access to ACP. Uh, so community members not having access to ACP means subscription may not be at the level they thought it was going to be at. So it could really mess with business plans uh, and the and previous analysis that have been done on the number of subscribers they may have. Uh, AC, the, whether or not we keep ACP really depends upon bipartisan cooperation in Congress, uh, and we have to keep telling Congress, all of our congressional members, how important this is, um, particularly those that are less, who are more hesitant about spending money. So, uh, 
uh, as you have connections or opportunity to reach out to your Republican representatives, it's even more important that they understand how it impacts your business model, because uh, that's an that's an aspect of this I think that is not quite understood. So in theory, the ACP, the Affordability Connectivity Program, is you know indeed the NTIs kind of encourage service providers to be able to offer a um, a low income rate. So if you could offer a you know high bandwidth service to low income for 30 bucks a month, and then you could take your $30 ACP subsidy, you could basically get internet for free. So high speed broadband for free, that's the theory. Now, our good friend Christine is saying, hey, she's hearing that low income users of ACP are using it on their cell phone that eliminates their ability to use it on a laptop. And you know, obviously it's pretty tough to use the internet over a cell phone, what's your recommendation? Right, uh, so NDI, this is one of the reasons that the NDIA community is so important because they're the ones talking to community members, explaining the difference, because most folks do not necessarily understand the difference between the cell service they're getting on their phone and that wireline connection they'd be getting into their home and how much more robust the one is through the wires, right? The, the reality though, is that low-income households need this too. Right, so the issue that we have in the United States is needing to provide a subsidy for low-income households that cover both, both the cell phone and the wireline connection. As there's talk about how Universal Service Fund might be changed moving forward, it's important for us not to lose the phone service off of here because we need that voice service for low-income households and the data on the phone, but then to guide households towards that more robust wireline service at home. At the same time that we are also addressing the need for the digital skills and the right device, uh, there's, a, there's an aspect of this of what is the reality of a low-income household and respecting what their reality is and what they need in the moment, but then helping them move forward. Another aspect of it too is that when ACP first came out, the providers who had the most experience with uh, marketing to low-income households were the uh, resellers of mobile service. So who did low-income households hear from first? Resellers of mobile service, because they already had experience doing that through Lifeline. So I think some of the numbers are a little bit um, misleading in that they show who had good marketing procedures, not necessarily uh, what it is the consumer is choosing. If there's not a choice in front of them, if the only choice in front of them is a device and a mobile service, then great, that sounds super. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, I was on the board for Teach for America for about five or six years, and I was shocked that some students really didn't have permanent residence, and so they were very transient, moving between different um, subsidized housing units, you know, where family members may live. And so, you know, having that people that are more transient, which is probably low income, makes it very difficult for fixed services, probably. Yeah, so, um, we can so one, one of the other questions, go ahead. Real quick, we can't ever lose that some folks need mobile service. There, there's an I, there's there are those who want to lead the ACP towards only for wireline service, which on the surface seems like a great idea. Except there are these housing insecure individuals that if we're not helping them have that mobile data, they have none at all because they are not in, a, in one household. Well, the good news is by getting fiber to all Americans, we'll have the fiber infrastructure to improve our mobile services and be able to have high, high, high bandwidth mobile services. So 
Um, Digital Inclusion Week. Are there any education viral sessions that can share with you know our peers information on nonprofits in addition to NDIA that people can donate to or other ways people can get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So Digital Inclusion Week uh, is first week of October. We do this every year. It just gets bigger and bigger each year. The idea is that local folks do their own activities during Digital Inclusion Week, and then we lift each other up around what those activities are. Uh, you can see lots of the information. There's toolkits and guides and things uh, on the NDIA website under Digital Inclusion. You'll see it all right on the homepage, Digital Inclusion Week. Uh, but there's also, NDIA also has a um, map and a list of our affiliates. So if, if you aren't sure if you have folks in town who are already connected to NDIA doing this kind of work and that you may want to partner with for Digital Inclusion Week, that's a good way to find them. If you don't see anybody there, it means ask around to see who's already doing digital inclusion work in your community. Uh, I wouldn't use the words digital inclusion or digital equity. That doesn't always mean things to people who aren't in the in this community. Uh, I would use, are you teaching folks how to use computers? Are you helping folks get signed up for affordable connectivity program? Do you guide people when they ask you about internet service? So another question is, like Fiverr, ACP will not solve the digital divide. It's not always about the service. For example, disabled community requires assistive technology used to broadband. How do we make assistive technology affordable yeah, so this, yeah, this is another, this is a piece of it that doesn't have enough financial resources, um, nor are there enough organizations who understand what the tools are to be able to guide community members as to what they can do. The money that's coming in from the Digital Equity Act, 2.75 billion, is a lot of money and it's not going to be enough it's not going to be enough to teach anybody, not everybody in the United States, how to use the Internet and to help them get signed up for service and get them a device. And it's definitely not enough to address all the tech needs of our disabled community. Uh, one other comment from our audience is digital inclusion is both an issue for urban and rural areas. Shouldn't it be bipartisan? Yeah, so it actually is fairly bipartisan. Uh, and, and as as the infrastructure funds, um, because of the funds that have already been released through Treasury and such, um, and the work that the states have done, we're already seeing more activity in rural communities around digital inclusion uh, because it kind of brings the topic forefront. The pandemic did a lot of that for us also. So it is an incredibly bipartisan issue. The way it has been described to me of why ACP hasn't yet been renewed is that it's a game of chicken because whoever says at first that it needs to be renewed then needs to figure out where the money is going to come from and nobody wants to figure out where the money is going to come from which is why we have to keep pushing everybody on this uh, i also think the digital equity the piece of it that's the digital skills particularly how it impacts workforce is something that helps make it a bipartisan issue and how it lifts up communities so we still have a bit of educating to do so that folks um recognize the value in their own communities, but I do feel like we're on a positive trajectory of getting there. So another comment came in is that there are many people who are struggling to maintain a household, but are just above the federal poverty level. So how do we help the working poor? Right. Uh, I think that's about the internet service providers having a different tiers of, of service so that those who um, are ineligible or affordable connectivity program could still purchase, say, a $40 plan or something that is, or the $30 plan, but not 
put the ACP towards it. So having the different tiers. We've also seen some creative solutions come out of the smaller internet service providers, such as letting folks turn it off without, without any fees attached to that and then turn it back on when they want to turn it back on. Um, so having some creative solutions, working with the community to see if the community itself can subsidize any service for low-income households. We don't always need to rely upon the feds. Some communities have really figured out some of their these creative solutions to address it. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's making sure we don't forget about the devices and the skills and not that those pieces are at all the job of an internet service provider, but the internet service provider can certainly say, these are important. We've actually seen the larger ISPs do that, and it's been really helpful to have their voice in the room saying, this is important. Um, so when we can get more folks saying that, then it draws the attention in, and then it can draw resources, even if it doesn't have to be your resources, right? So another comment that came in from audiences, one way to minimize costs and gain trust is if communities directly offer bandwidth services to low-income housing. The American Association for Public Broadband is promoting this. Are you planning to work together with them? Oh, yes, we have a great relationship with them. Um, and I do highly encourage um, figuring out how to make sure that there is service in low-income housing. Um, and then that's also a perfect place to provide a digital navigator or do digital skills training because they're all in the same building. It's actually how I first got started doing this work was helping set up labs in low-income housing. And there were instructors that were from that community, right? So then they understood who it was that they were working with. You know, Angela, there's so many, I'll call them at-risk populations, you know, uh, we talk about um, disabilities, but also mental health, um, you know, low-income, minorities, um, tribal areas. What is the best way, you know, to for use some way to have data uh, mapping metrics? So we have digital um, mapping for unserved. Do you have a way to measure where our digital equity issues are? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, it really varies depending upon what one is looking for. So we have the broadband adoption data. Mostly that comes from um, the census data, the American Community Survey. Uh, the the more local it gets, though, that's the five-year data. So but it, it still gives you a good idea of adoption rates in a community. Uh, so there's the adoption rates, but then there's also the skills. That is less local. The data we have for that is more on the national scale or state level. But there are local communities who are doing digital skills surveys themselves to define that. Uh, national Skills Coalition has amazing resources on their website about digital skills, skills in general, but digital skills in particular. Uh, so so that we have these different different data sources that can also can be layered. And we also know, for example, like if you can get an idea of the numbers of those who um, are in the disability community, those who are low income, how many, you know, like numbers of kids on free and reduced lunch rate, there's these different indicators that can give you an idea of what's in a community, even if you don't have specific numbers on how many computer, for example. Uh, Microsoft did a solid job with a uh, map they created where they have all these different layers so that you can put them on top of one, one another. And I suspect we'll see quite a bit of that coming out of the state digital equity plans. Well, Angela, thank you so much. We really appreciate um, what you and your organization are doing. And you're just making an incredible impact and it's really going to benefit the families that need it most. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Look forward to getting back together next Wednesday for Fiber Breakfast. We'll be speaking with 
my good friend Jeff Hainan, the Vice President of Del Oro, and he'll be discussing setting the record straight on pond equipment trend. So we'll see you guys next Wednesday. Thanks, everyone.